Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best movie Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay, and with me, as always, is Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm, I'm good, Clay. You should see these knees, though. Look at these knees <laughs> and this numb arm. Can't feel a thing. Yeah, that's definitely... Um, <laughs> Have I experienced dinner conversation worse than that? Uh, worse, yes. More awkward, probably no. I was going to say worse, probably, but weirder, definitely not. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a great way to meet your girlfriend's parents for the first time. Uh, today, we are talking about Eraserhead, David Lynch's yes. first film. It's number 82 on our list with an 89% Rotten Tomato score, 82% audience score. Wow. Um, had you seen this one before? You have. You took a whole class on David Lynch, right? Yes, I am one of those snobby people who has done something like that. Um, and I was thinking about it because I, I think the last night when we watched it, I said, oh, it's been like a minimum of like a decade since I saw this. I don't think I've seen the whole thing since I took that class mm. in my like junior year of college. Yeah, I've I've only seen it once, actually. Um mm. <laughs> this I, <laughs> Gee, I wonder why no well it's fun it's funny because uh this was actually one of the f- so back in the day <laughs> yes i'm old enough that i can say that and have it mean something <laughs> all uh, the children just sat down around you yes. in a semicircle gather yeah. around 12 o'clock time for one more story <laughs> um yes. netflix used to send you discs in the mail and uh, this was one of the... Um, <laughs> Sorry, just the way you said the mail. <laughs> it's going to be soon enough. Kids won't know what the mail is either. That's probably true. And uh, this was one of the movies that I accidentally, let's say, got to keep. Um, <laughs> in this case, it was... Heavy air quotes. In this case, it was very accidental. What had happened was I got it from mm-hmm. Netflix, I watched it, and then I was talking about it with a professor of mine. In college, and he was a big David. He is a big David Lynch fan, and he said, mm. "I haven't seen that in years." And I said, "Oh well, do you want to? I got it. Do you want to borrow it?" And he's like, "Absolutely." <clears throat> so I let him borrow the disc, and uh, like two weeks later or so, he's like, "Yeah, I lost it. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it." Um, sure. I think one of my kids took it or something. And so he bought a replacement disc and he gave that oh, wow. to me. And then I didn't send that disc to Netflix because, it, you know, they all had like a barcode on them or something. So it's right, like, right. I'm just going to send them this naked eraser. I don't I don't know if I had the sleeve either. I can't. I, he might have lost the sleeve. as well. I can't remember. But anyway, that's how I came so to you- own David Lynch's eraser head. <laughs> Do you just get charged like a like a non-return fee or something? To this day, I have no idea. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. Yeah. Good job. So if you'd like any investing tips, <laughs> I am your man. Yeah, I don't, it's weird. I've, I've had this, so I've had it for, it's been in my collection for 20, almost 20 years, and I've only watched it the one time. Huh. And um, Having watched it again last night, I can kind of see why maybe that is. But it's good that you took. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the hacky guy and be like, it's good that you oh, took God. that class because I don't know what's going on in this movie. <laughs> I think the whole point of the class was like, 
Who knows? <laughs> this is actually, <laughs> this is going to be a good one to talk about because I feel like we've done, what have we done? Um, is, the only other, is the only other Lynch we've done uh, uh, Fire Walk With Me? Um, did we do Lost Highway or was that just something you and I watched in the theater for funsies? Yeah, you and I went to see that, but we didn't do a show about it. So I think it's only Fire Walk With Me that we've done. Which is, um, it's an interesting one to start with. We did Blue Velvet. No, we did not do Blue Velvet. We did not do, what what have we been doing this whole time? We also, (laughs) we went to see Blue Velvet, but we did not do Blue Velvet. Ah, God, all right. Wow. Wow. Huh. So this really is like like the second really complete bit of Lynch we're doing. Yeah, and I don't even think... um, yeah, Fire Walk With Me was a wild card, too. So this is the first David Lynch on the list that we've done. Wow. All right. Yeah. So. Starting off with a Good place to start. Yes. We're going to play the trailer for you real quick, and then we're going to get into it. A lot of times, I don't know the meaning of the idea, and it drives me crazy. I think um, we should know the meaning of the idea, and I think about them. I think about them. And I tell this story about my first feature, Eraserhead. I did not know what these things meant, you know, really meant. And on that particular film, I started reading the Bible, and I'm reading the Bible going along, and suddenly there was a sentence. And I said, forget it. That's this thing. That's this thing. And um, so I should know the meaning for me. But when things get abstract, it does me no good to say what it is, you know. It's better, all viewers on the surface, we're all different. And we see something, and that's another place where intuition kicks in. An inner knowingness. And so you, you, you see a thing, you, you think about it, you feel it, and you go and you sort of know something inside. And you can rely on that. And another thing I say is, if you go after a film with holding abstractions to a coffee, you know, place, and having coffee with your friends, something will say something, and immediately you'll say, no, 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 that's not what that was about. You know, this is what, you know, and so many things come out, it's surprising. So you do know, you do know, for yourself, and what you know is valid. Okay, Eraserhead from 1977, directed by David Lynch, written by David Lynch, starring Pete Martell from Twin Peaks, Betty Briggs from Twin Peaks, (laughs) Alan Joseph, Gene Bates, Judith Roberts, Laurel Neer, Jack Fisk, and Ted Theodore Logan's dad from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. (laughs) He is the guy who works at the uh, pencil factory. Who makes the pencils. Got it. Amanda. To yes. your best of your ability, what happens in Eraserhead? <laughs> Henry resides alone in a bleak apartment surrounded by industrial gloom. When he discovers that an earlier fling with Mary left her pregnant, he marries her and has her move in with him. Things take a decidedly strange turn when the couple's baby turns out to be a bizarre, lizard-like creature that won't stop wailing. Other characters, including a disfigured lady who lives inside a radiator, inhabit the building and add to Henry's troubles. Sure do. 
It's my favorite summary I think I've ever done. <laughs> other other characters live in the building and add to his troubles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Clay, some things you'll find in Eraserhead include... Yeah. The worst family dinner invitation since the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I would say... Um, the. <laughs> I would say it's sort of the inverse of Texas Chainsaw, where like the actual dinner mm-hmm. is is isn't as bad as what comes afterwards. Whereas in Texas Chainsaw, it's like, well, you know, at least she gets away at the end. I mean, it's 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 bad in different ways, but it's still an extremely it's it's a it's a dinner with a family I would not want to be involved in. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Yeah, those. Um, I found it very funny that he. <laughs> He goes to cut those tiny chickens with those giant Ugh. Uh, Ugh. giant utensils. Um, uh-huh. And then it stops being funny when it starts kind of puking blood out of its orifice. Yes. <laughs> it's orifice. There's going to be a lot about orifices in this mm. movie. Uh, you'll also find Soviet-style hellscapes. Yes, or Philadelphian-style hellscapes. Because apparently this uh, this movie sort of gestated in David Lynch's brain while he was living, he and his family were living in Philadelphia, which he um, very much disliked. <laughs> and this is the depiction of the city. In this is uh, supposedly his um, his thoughts on Philadelphia. Uh, a shorty with big old cheeks. Shorty with big old cheeks, but not <laughs> not the kind that the rappers generally sing about. Although, hey, maybe they are. I don't know. I don't want yeah, to generalize. Yeah, maybe. She's, she's in a very modest dress, so it's kind of hard to tell. Um, giant E.T. style baby head. Yeah. Uh, Comma e. being menaced by. <laughs> yeah. I will have a lot to say about that sweet, yeah. sweet child. Uh, inside radiator musical numbers. Mm-hmm. The best kind. Of, the usually best. that means yeah. your radiator is broken. Is that what was happening to your radiator? Was, I, there, was there a small woman singing that, songs inside of it? That's what I thought, but the band never kicked in, and it was just like a rhythmic banging Aww. sound. Fluids. Many, yes. <laughs> that's it. Uh, and legendary levels of questionable parenting, mm-hmm. slash what you said, which was th- questionable thoughts about parenting? Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's um I guess that's the best place to dip into this. Uh Yeah. Because well, this is a little bit of background. This was David Lynch's first film. It took him 5 years to make. Um it was financed partially by the American Film Institute that he was studying at at the time, partially by a childhood friend Jack Fisk and his wife Sissy Spacek, as well as Jack Nance's wife, Catherine Coulson, also known as the Log Lady from Twin Peaks. And, and David Lynch's paper route. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I made the joke about, you know, oh, well, you know, what is, what is this even about? This is his first movie. And as it starts off, it feels like it's going to be a very dense, indecipherable David Lynch puzzle box. But once mm-hmm. you get into it, it seems pretty clear what this is about for the most part. I mean, yeah, argu- arguably, I think I think it's about a lot of intertwined issues, mostly like sex and parenthood and just like human reproduction in general mm-hmm. seems to be a big theme. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think it's it's 
it, it's like it's a still a very complex and opaque movie in a lot of ways yeah. but in other ways it's really straightforward it's just like the horror of of reproducing it seems yeah i wonder i would love to see david cronenberg talk about this because i feel like he mm. would probably love this movie huh that's a that's a really good point yeah but but, but i feel like he would he, <laughs> i would i would be interested to see the cronenberg version of a racer head mm, well it's kind of the brood <laughs> Well, it it is, but it, I don't know. No, I it's guess, not yeah, quite. So. Yeah, it's yeah. The the brood is a lot. Oddly enough, this is a very um, uh, emotional movie, mm-hmm. and I think the brood tends to be pretty cold. And the, the 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 brood is kind of built on the repressing of emotions being a key factor yeah. to the film. Whereas yeah. this is 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 pretty like. If you want to call it emotionally honest, I guess you could because it, it, it seems as though a, a large part of it is, yeah, this um, it's it's like a horrible stress dream about being a parent or even if it's not a stress dream, just the stress that was gestating inside of him after becoming a parent, which he was at the time. And I wonder if his daughter has ever been like, so thanks, I guess, dad. <laughs> Well, apparently he he's always insisted it's not actually about that. Like it's not about her specifically. Oh sure, yeah. Um, yeah. You, well, sure you gotta say that to your kid. Oh God, yeah. And and I'm sure she. I, I'm sure that is something she's had to grapple with pretty much her whole life, which kind of sucks when you, when you think about it. Like other people watch this movie and talk about it as like an artistic achievement and and you know a surrealist fever nightmare about having kids and she's just like yeah but i'm the kid right (laughs) this poor woman um but yeah like the emotion of this movie is really interesting because you do get henry who sort of especially for the first half of the movie or so is very like flat affect Mm -hmm. like he doesn't kind of um react very much to things but all around him, as soon as you start meeting other characters, like Mary and her family, they're very uh, intense. Is is the word I'm going to use? Yeah, they're, they <laughs> they are have all a lot of feelings. Uh, Hen- it's Henry, right? Henry, is what you said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Henry is pretty normal for the most part, and everybody else in this movie is a David Lynch character. <laughs> I would I would quibble with calling Henry normal. Yeah, I mean, normal is it as normal as uh, someone in this in a David Lynch movie can be. Sure, I th- I think he is sort of coasting for sure. most of the movie. Sure. It's not until like he, he you know m- he marries Mary and they are in the house, the apartment, the the single room apartment together with the wailing monster baby, and then she leaves him with it. That's really when i think things start to you know the 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 cracks start to show in henry oh definitely yeah yeah, yeah. um and yes it, it, it's uh <clears throat> it's it's a fairly it's funny cuz you don't expect a david lynch movie that starts the way this does with a very sort of uh, abstract i guess impregnation scene sort of of him like yeah. this sort of um 
I guess it's a planet because the guy inside pulling the the gears and stuff is credited as the man inside the planet. But mm-hmm. you see the sort of egg-like planet structure. Then you see mm-hmm. Henry's face superimposed over it, and then his mouth opens up in this weird, like, disgusting sort of sperm-looking thing comes out of it. Mm-hmm. And you, you're starting this movie going like, okay, yeah, all right, this is going to be a David Lynch movie. <laughs> and then once you kind of get into it, it does very quickly turn into like a like a relationship drama to a certain i yeah it's it's strange because it's a relationship drama to a point um because mm-hmm. it's as you were saying last night when we were watching it it's very one-sided it's only from henry's point of view mm-hmm. um but the relationship drama part of it is is relatively brief and then it kind of turns into just sort of like a a fever dream for the for the last 45 minutes or so yeah, because we don't, we we start with the vision of Henry and this sort of like symbolic impregnation moment that we don't even know at the time that that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. And then we get like a long sequence of him alone, kind of carrying groceries or something. Yeah, he's just walking um, home. Yeah, but he's got like a bag under his arm. He's he, But he, yeah, he's just, he's walking home through this like very bleak industrial area and the reason the reason i wanted to refer to it as a soviet style hellscape is because a lot of the exterior shots in this movie remind me a lot of um tarkovsky's stalker Mm -hmm. which comes out two years later and i find that a really fascinating thing because these movies came out too close together to have influenced one another sure yeah and so it's just fascinating to me that somebody like David Lynch in Philadelphia and then Andrei Tarkovsky in in you know Russia and Ukraine are kind of having these same experiences of the world and and and, and putting these such similar images on film like there's even the scene where Henry's walking in there these kind of um like mounds of dirt that he's climbing up and down Oh sure there's like a very iconic moment in Stalker that looks almost exactly the same. Oh, really? Yeah, it's really weird um, that, that you know, both of these movies are doing this. They're both in black and white. Um, they both kind of slip into these very slow moving moments and like vaguely surreal feeling and and the kind of like you're in a world that's almost like the real world, but it's definitely not the same. Um, so I just, I don't know. I think there's a lot of like DNA underneath both of them that overlaps, at least in, in how I, how I remember that movie. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah. I think, um, a lot of it is in that era, urban decay was really starting to, um, creep in. For, mm. for in a lot of uh, popular culture and just like acknowledging that these cities, a lot of a lot of these cities were starting to break down and and lots of buildings were becoming abandoned and and just what what it yeah. turned the, the 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 city into like c- city urban decay is is a very particular kind of gross you know uh, yeah ab- absolutely and like I also think that you can see 
early evidence of Lynch's obsession with atomic power in this movie. Oh, sure. He's got... (laughs) Henry has a a photograph of the atomic bomb going off next to his bed. Yeah. and, and, And so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there was some kind of similar, like, thinking there about what does the world look like since we have done this horrible thing and and this sort of gradual decay that Lynch has portrayed nuclear, the nuclear tests and, and and the dropping of the bombs to have kind of triggered in our world. Mm -hmm. Like, I I feel like there's a similar DNA for Tarkovsky, like growing up and living where he did and seeing, you know, cold war firsthand and, and all of that. I just, I think it's really fascinating that this weird little art movie from Philadelphia, even beyond the like more obvious reproductive concerns is tapping into that like bigger social decay thing. Yeah. 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 It's funny. It's funny when that stuff happened. Like I feel like for, for those two, it makes a bit more sense for them both Mm -hmm. to have been tapped into the, uh, uh, David Lynch would be proud of me into the collective unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> been and, doing your transcendental <clears throat> meditation lately, mm-hmm. huh? You know, I had thought about. I, I've watched enough David Lynch stuff, and he talks about it enough. <laughs> like, oh, that'd be kind of interesting. It's expensive. Like, you gotta like pay a bunch of money to learn how to do it. You can't just. It's not like yoga. You can't just go on YouTube and have somebody <laughs> talk you through it. Oh yeah, and you need to like really commit to it too. You you need to like take it really sincerely and keep up with it you can't just like yeah i do i do transcendental meditation like sometimes and then i give up on it for a year and then i, I try it again yeah it's like, no it doesn't work that way i don't know if i have the have it in me to commit to that oh i um, don't <clears throat> but uh it's it's funny because there's a there's a movie that i i'm probably want gonna want to do at some point on uh on this on our show called city of the dead mm. which came out the same year as Psycho, 1960. And the structure is almost identical to Psycho. And to the point, like, it's, it's, like, it's, it opens with one character who goes adventuring to a, to a a faraway place. And then that character Mm -hmm. gets killed off about halfway through. And the, the narrative shifts to a man and a woman who are related in some fashion to this character who then go to this place to find out what happened to them. Even the end huh. of the movie is like kind of similar. Like it's not at the exact same thing happening, obviously, but it's just like structurally almost identical to Psycho. And wow. I, I found myself as I'm watching it going like, it's not possible for this to have like ripped Psycho off. They came out in the same year. Yeah. And like, and I having, I just recently read the book Psycho mm-hmm. and everything that happens in the movie happens in the book or vice versa, however you want to look at it. Yeah. Um, the book isn't that different is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> but the structure is pretty, well, no, I guess it's, I guess it's kind of similar, but it, it the, the structure of Psycho being such a, a huge selling point and such a revolutionary element, it's mm-hmm. it's surprising that another movie did the same thing the same year without knowing that Psycho had done. I don't know. Maybe Psycho came out in yeah. January and this movie came out in December of the late, you know, the following December. I don't know. And they had enough I mean, time to rip it off. I have no idea. Yeah, that still seems like a like a stretch even then. But 
Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 interesting because I do think things are kind of running through people's minds and you're going to occasionally get two people who are processing some of the similar ideas and concepts that have just kind of floating around mm-hmm. out there in similar ways. Like I do I do think the kind of like atomic age influence on Eraserhead is is slightly ignored. Like everybody's kind of like slightly cancerous oh yeah people have malformed babies and weird growths on their like unnatural growth could be the title of this movie sure yeah and it's just like everything is kind of a tumor everything is vaguely cancerous and And not to hmm. go back to the brood but when we talked about the brood obviously one of the inspirations of the brood was um the thalidomide poisonings of mm. so many uh, pregnant women that that ended up having these deformed babies, and I mean that's David Lynch is going to be aware of that, and mm-hmm. it, it would, the, I think it's the same kind of mindset where yeah I think he is thinking a lot about atomic power and how yeah how this stuff is they're probably seeing this stuff happening more and mm-hmm. all of these things together are probably yeah I think I think you. I think you hit a, a a really good point that there is something cancerous about everybody mm-hmm. in this. Um, yeah, I mean, even the the, the chicken that they're eating is Ugh. like weirdly <laughs> tiny and just pulsating, and it's it it feels it feels like things that have been unnaturally uh, mm-hmm. messed with. Yeah, yeah, because these yeah these little tiny chickens are like. Oh, what what are they? A capon or a capon or something? That there's like little tiny fowls that that are that oh, small sure. that you can yeah. like roast and eat. But these are clearly not them. <laughs> and when yeah, when he starts trying to carve the tiny chicken, um, it just starts excreting all sorts of blood and fluid, and it kicks its like legs. Mm-hmm. Even though it's like a plucked and roasted bird, it's still somehow like grotesquely alive when it shouldn't be, which is a really disturbing image of having like, you know, happy Thanksgiving. Imagine the bird on your table starts moving around and just gushing fluid at you. Unintentionally. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that this movie is also about like the decay of like family units and normal healthy like marriages and normal like roles for people Mm -hmm. because henry henry is like almost like a child in a lot of ways sure yeah like he's kind of simple um he he doesn't really seem to process a lot of the world around him. He just kind of accepts it and is like, Oh yeah, whatever. Um, he doesn't really seem like he wants to take responsibility for his own actions very much. Like when the mother, when Mary's mother corners him and says, did you have sex with my daughter? He doesn't want to answer and he kind of won't look at her. And it's Mm -hmm. this very like little boy with his hand caught in the cookie jar move. Yeah. For, and for the record, at the same time, like everyone else is being really, fucked up too. <laughs> yes. I know. I was going to say for the record, 
Um, if anybody asks you a question and you respond with, that's none of your business, they know the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, how, yeah, absolutely. However, that being said, I wouldn't want to tell these people anything regardless no. of the answer because they're all f- weird. Oh, yeah. And and you can see, like, the the sort of, like, collapse of normal family roles amongst them. Like, the mother is cooking dinner, sure, but she's also kind of domineering the husband, the, the, the father, mm-hmm. who seems pretty content to be, like, steamrolled by his, his wife and daughter and then even gives away the sort of traditional 1950s dad role of, like, carving up dinner. Right, yeah. Um, and the mother is like weird and unnatural. She's like too involved in her daughter's business and then starts licking her daughter's boyfriend's neck. Oh, I forgot about <laughs> like, that. Yeah. Yeah. She like sexually assaults him in, in the scene where she's asking if he had sex with Mary. It's this weird, like she can tell he did and she's like really into it. You usually these days you can you have to go to specific websites for that content. Yes. It is out there if you're looking for it. <laughs> the internet will provide yes. whatever you might look for regardless of whether or not you want it to be there. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, it's uh I I also the the, the relationship between um Henry and Mary. I you read mm. this in the synopsis and I had read it somewhere else. They refer to her as his ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Is is there anything in there that explicitly says that? Because I just assumed that they were together. He talks about when, when he first, I think, either gets the invitation to dinner or when he first gets to the house. Henry says to Mary, like, I haven't seen you in so long. You stopped coming around. Like, I didn't know what happened to you. Where oh, have you been? Okay. So there's a little bit of like a it's it's been a long time and he's confused about why he hasn't heard from her. Mm-hmm. So like, I think it's yeah, also I see it in that way. But I think it's also possible that I, well I don't know. maybe maybe they didn't want to put labels on anything. You know who knows? Yeah. <laughs> who knows how many times they did whatever he doesn't want to admit they did? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, he clearly has weird feelings and 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 weird reactions to women Mm -hmm. like he's very he seems like he's he tries to be kind of sweet towards mary like he kind of tries to be like gentle with her it looks like on the the little we see them interacting together before uh the quote-unquote baby arrives Mm -hmm. on scene um but once they're married and they're living together with the baby he doesn't really seem interested in her like like they don't talk they don't really interact other than you know laying in bed he kind of tries to reach out for her in what is clearly like a sexual overture and she's not having it which given what happened last time i don't blame her (laughs) um and then with the neighbor the 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 beautiful neighbor across the hall he's like enthralled and and kind of obsessive about her and then immediately like enraged and also kind of disgusted by her when he realizes that she's either 
a promiscuous woman or she's a sex worker or, or whatever she's doing over there. She's having sex with more men than just him. Yeah. Yeah. And well, he's yeah. he's also in that moment um, getting emasculated, right? Because he's he's mm. he's been emasculated in his real life. And then he starts having this fantasy about the woman across the hall that's this really hot, you know, the fantasy everyone has about having sex inside a (laughs) bed full of water, I guess. Fluids, Fluids. Clay. Fluids. Um, (laughs) Not that very normal fantasy. Yeah, you know. Um, and (laughs) Just a kiddie pool instead of a bed. I, hey, I, who doesn't who doesn't wish they could have the middle of the room jacuzzi like in Scarface? That's the best part of Scarface is when he's just hanging out in the jacuzzi he has in the middle of his bedroom, which looks great. But every time I see that, I think, man, that whole bedroom must just smell like chlorine. It must be awful. We have a friend who would one hundred percent do that in real life. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, then he when he comes out of his fantasy, he when he's brought back to earth by his sick child, he mm-hmm. makes a move towards the door to see, to try and like live this fantasy out. And she's there with another mm-hmm. man and they just start laughing at him. Well, the baby starts laughing at him too, but uh, yeah. <laughs> which is very unnerving. I would also, I also thought that she was like shot very differently in that scene as well. Mm. Like other other moments where she appears in the movie, whether it's the first time they run into each other early on in the film or his fantasy, I don't know if it's that she's shot in like a softer light or at a softer angle somehow, but it makes her look like, like she's still very beautiful, but like earlier on, she looks like, like beautiful and soft and sort of like lovely. Mm -hmm. And then in that last, the last time you see her when she's with this other man and they're kind of like sneering at him, she looks almost like, like a slightly more grotesque version of herself. Yeah. Like she has a very haughty expression and the camera is kind of lower down looking up towards her face and her chin is raised and kind of her head is tilted and she looks very like disdainful at him. Like she's disgusted by him. And it's this really, I, I, I think it's a like really subtle way of showing the difference between what his fantasy version of her and their relationship was and then how she actually sees him as this kind of like pathetic loser yeah definitely and that is either completely on purpose or because those two scenes were shot three years between each other which apparently there is a, a moment in the movie where um, it's probably the three years. I bet. I bet she just like you know changed her hair a little bit and like well, lost they ch- a tiny bit of weight. They changed uh, <laughs> cinematographers too. Um, mm. There's apparently a moment in the movie where Jack Nance opens a door and then the the next shot where he walks through it was 18 months later. <laughs> That's amazing. So there was a lot of a lot of that stuff going on where they were just. He was consistently shooting it over the course of five years, which just sounds like a nightmare. Um, it, it it does sound like a nightmare, but that's also kind of fascinating that like there were such huge gaps between moments, and yet it doesn't interrupt like the the weird yeah. flow that this movie has. Yeah, you don't even notice it. You, I mean, you wouldn't notice yeah. it unless somebody told you where it was. Um, it's always funny when movies can do that. Like uh, Evil Dead, I think, was something similar. I don't think it was five years. I th- I feel like they shot mm-hmm. that movie for like three years or something, though. 
where Jesus. they had to just keep, you know, they'd run out of money and then they would pick up some cash and they'd go back down and shoot a little bit more. I think I could be completely wrong, but one of those, one of those classic horror movies is one of those ones mm. where it's like shot in a shoestring over three or four years. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the thing I found very, very interesting about uh, the woman across the hall, not to continue to psychoanalyze and project it back onto the, the maker here, but um, mm. she seems like she's a bit of a dry run for Isabella Rossellini's character in Blue Velvet to a certain extent. Oh, absolutely. Like she yeah, even yeah, yeah. looks very similar. Yeah, she's styled in a similar way. Kind of these these slinky robes and the big curly hair. Yeah, and it's it's funny to see this movie, which feels like it is a um, David Lynch working through his feelings about uh, having a family and um, all the negatives that may come with that mentally that you go through, including fantasizing about what's on the other you know, across the hall, so to speak, only, mm-hmm. only for him to later on end up with that woman in real life. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> do with that what you will, I guess. But yeah, it's it's hard with this movie. Like you can you one could map it so closely onto David Lynch's real life. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, Obviously, the the inspiration for a lot of stuff came from there, but I think it's it's not just the one to one comparison. Like, there's so much more baggage attached to all of it, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a there's a really real and genuine sort of revulsion in in this movie that I don't believe that David Lynch, the person, really felt for his child. No, you know, honestly, though, I, I think the thing is, right, mm-hmm. I, I think that there is nothing unnatural about anything that he depicts in this movie, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Because it's, I, I think he's just mining the things that everybody thinks and goes through at like their uh lowest level and most um put out level of dealing with real life stuff like this everybody has fucked up things they think you know like it's it's it it, and what you do generally if you're a relatively well-adjusted person is you (laughs) kind of sit with that for a second and then you know a moment later it's gone and you go back to your life and you and you love your kid and you don't want to cut them open and stab them with scissors or or you don't (laughs) you don't think that they are some sort of weird tumor and not a child you know right oh yeah totally I I think this is his way of working through some of those acknowledging and working through some of those feelings so that he doesn't have to just sit with them in 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 real life you know what i mean like he's processing i think in a lot of ways maybe even it's it's a it's a good way of processing the guilt of feeling this way in the first place sure absolutely yeah because it, it it doesn't you know this movie does not let henry off easily like he does he doesn't have a nice time of it and it's not really a pleasant experience for him at the end, even even when he sort of seems to to 
go totally off the rails. Like, I don't get the sense that it's been particularly good or cathartic for him. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Like, he's not, I guess what I'm trying to say is he's not getting rewarded for for his behavior here. No. Um, well, yeah, I guess technically not. He does sort of end up with his little uh, munchkin-faced <laughs> lady there, but... <laughs> his his little radiator woman. I, I, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, you know, I find the radiator woman thing to be fascinating um, because the way, you know, it is it is a very strange device. Um, mm-hmm. But the way that they he uses it uh, that that sort of made it click with me is when Mary is tending to the child and I think Henry comes home and he can she's like you know really stressed out and dealing yeah. with the kid or whatever and Henry like drops his stuff like says hi to them very briefly and then goes over to his bed and like plops down on the bed and just starts staring <laughs> yep. at the radiator yep and I was like oh yeah this is there's no tv in this movie so <laughs> he's yeah the 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 woman in the radiator is <laughs> Like his, it's it's an it's an outlet for his a uh, a uh, uh, fantasy that allows him to not focus on what's going on in the real world, and then that's why his fantasy starts getting so fucked up because all of the real world stuff starts seeping into it, and it gets a lot darker, and he then has to deal with it until he deals with it in real life by killing the child, and then mm-hmm. he gets to. Uh, exist in oblivion with his in his uh what's the word i'm looking for uh not denial um <laughs> obliviousness i guess i guess that was what oblivion would yeah. be yeah and and i think de- i think denial works he's sort of yeah he he's he's gonna he's gonna live in his fantasy world rather than acknowledging the reality around him and the reality of what he's done yeah and, I, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about David Lynch and that I think is is where people really kind of turn left on him a little bit mm-hmm. is he's not just going to give you a symbol. He's going to give you a symbol and then spend 10 minutes just sort of like seeing what the symbol's up to. Yeah. In in a way that feels like it's <laughs> yes. not connected to anything sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um but is like to him worth exploring like he's not just going to give, to give you like oh this is this is the symbol of uh Laura Palmer's goodness in the world being represented by a a golden orb with her face in it he's like well yeah mm. sure we're going to do that but don't you want to see the factory where they're made yeah <laughs> and the delivery system for these things which yeah it's just it's so much uh i find that so much more satisfying um because it i feel like sometimes when you're just going straight symbolic with that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. it feels kind of hacky yeah sure yeah and i i think sometimes if you're fed a symbol with a pretty straightforward meaning and it's like yep here it is this is this is the symbol and this is what it means. It's easy to just be like, oh, okay, yeah. So it's about you know, you know, Henry's 
willful denial of of the real world around him and his his escapism into his own mind sure yeah and then it's easy to just sort of be like yeah all right moving on he likes to daydream okay whatever but it's more interesting to sit and i think this is what david lynch like he enjoys symbolism because i think he finds the symbol more interesting than the meaning sure oh definitely yes like, why is it taking this form and what would this form do? And like, he allows these things a long enough time to breathe that you can add more layers to it if you so choose. Yeah. And also that sometimes it kind of comes back around the other side where it stops feeling like a symbol and starts feeling genuinely real, which... right. Like in this case, especially with the lady in the radiator, that's how it feels to Henry. Mm-hmm. Like she's not just a symbol to Henry. She's she's something much more important than that. She seems to be tied in with with his happiness and kind of he, he she's kind of his dream girl. Right. Yeah. Shorty with big and, old cheeks. And, and I. <laughs> um. But she's also like part partially. I think she's his his own desires, like what he really wants for himself and what he really wants out of the world. And and like I find the first time you see her when she does her little kind of musical chairs act with all the like sperm monsters that are falling from the ceiling, she steps around. They they, they they're these stringy little gross things that are falling onto the stage she's on and she's like stepping around them as long as the music goes and when the music stops whichever one she's closest to she smashes it yeah and she's like gleeful about it the whole time like this is the most fun thing you could do this is the best and it's sort of like setting him in in his own mind like setting up a permission structure for himself to be able to go kill the baby later on mm. Yeah. Of like, yeah, no, this is this is good. This is what you should do. You should smash it. And then you get to like go back to being kind of oblivious in your oblivion and happy. Right. Yeah, and that um it, it, what's what's interesting there though is then his response to that is to have his head fall off and be replaced mm. by the the head of his baby as though it's the the child forcing its way into his fantasy to try and stop him from from going down this road or something well i think it's it's also the baby keeps stepping in and ruining everything for him right like when he opens the door to the hallway and sees the woman across the hall with that other man one of the moments when the camera cuts back to him he is the baby head like screaming right right yeah (laughs) like silently kind of just screaming and shaking on top of his like suited body um and so then later when I think when that happens in in the in the inside the radiator moment it is this sort of like he can't focus on his fantasies. He can't go into this interior world and explore it anymore because all he can hear is the screaming baby in the room. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's uh what you said a couple minutes ago was interesting cuz I what I was thinking about his his use of 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 symbolism and stuff is it's it's like it's like you know how they say there's some jokes where it, it's funny and then you repeat it to the point where it's not funny and then you keep doing it and it becomes funny again. 
Mm. I feel like that's how he treats these things sometimes where it's like, yeah, he, he digs down into these symbols deep enough that you kind of forget that that's what they might be. Mm-hmm. And then when you come out on the other side, you kind of like remember, oh, yeah, okay, sure. That's, you know, not literal or et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's <clears throat> like Mulholland Drive is a great example of that where it's like he's got like a, a singular idea at the top of that narrative mountain that mm-hmm. he's just digging into for the next two hours and just seeing oh, yeah. how it it spreads out. And it's never like, all right, what about this? You know, it's it's never um, it it is it is really like taking a, a concept or an idea and planting a seed and just seeing what happens instead of it being like one of a number of things that he's doing throughout a movie. He's just sort of really committing to this one concept and and mm-hmm. seeing and seeing how far he can go with it and, and where it takes him. Yeah, and I, but I also think that sometimes some of the implications of his symbols then get him interested. Sure, yeah. Like, like it's it's still it's still attached to that original driving concept, but he veers off into these little like tangents in like kind of alleyways off of it. Sometimes and, like, literally alleyways, if you want to experience yes. the scariest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. <laughs> God, I love that thing so much. But no, yeah, I, I, I think it's really true that he does sort of force you to sit with it long past the time where you th- you think it's useful. Like, you're like, no, I get it. Okay, no, no, really, I get it. And and you, you keep sort of wanting to say, I get it, we can move on. And then I do, at least I sometimes feel like I hit the point where I'm like, maybe I don't get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Maybe I don't get it at all. And then I'm overthinking it. But then usually I come back around to it and it's like, oh, oh, okay. That's that's what I love about Mulholland Drive is because that was one where mm. I was like, I have no idea what this movie's about. And then eventually I was like, all right, I think I have a pretty good idea of what this movie's about. And then I would watch it again and go, I have no idea what this movie is about. Yep. But it's, you know, yeah. Yep. I think I think the thing with him too is that more than most other mainstream filmmakers, he really does make films in a painterly style. And I don't mean that visually. I just mean like mm. the actual creation of his movies. Because he's... It's not like the uh, uh, cliche um, that people talk about like Stanley Kubrick with where he's like a... Mm. Uh, a, a master of, of every minuscule detail down to where, you know, a, a pen may or may not be on a desk or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Lynch and, and watching these movies, his movies, you can kind of feel like, oh, he's just there. There is a larger thing here that he has complete control over that. Uh, you are just. Um, it, it is your. Uh, it's up to you to figure out what he means by it. Mm. And knowing what I know about the way he makes his movies, it it I don't think that he really operates on that level. And I think I think you're right. I think there are some things that he doesn't even know what they mean, because uh, yeah. I've I've heard him talk about um, 
<clears throat> I think it was Inland Empire. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's the only time he's done this, but Inland Empire, I think the way that he started making that movie was he just had some ideas for for scenes. Like, yeah. And he yeah. would shoot those, not intending them to be connected in any way. And then he would eventually see how they could connect mm-hmm. um, and what brought them together. And I think he does that. He brings that kind of sensibility to a lot of his stuff where there are some times where I just think he's doing things the way someone would be like, well, what happens if I put red over here on a, on a painting, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. There's like a playfulness and kind of a, I think he has like a curiosity too, like, like ideas and, and images pop into his head and, and he is curious about what they mean and where they might take him. Yeah. Rather than he has like a single definitive answer. Yeah, like I was, I was watching. There's a um, a nice documentary on uh, on the Lost Highway uh, Criterion disc that just came out not too long ago. About mm. it's from like 1997, and it and it covers his art as a whole, um, painting and films and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he's talking about <clears throat> Lost Highway. And he said, yeah, I just, there was this one day, you know, we were put, we were putting the movie together and trying to think of things to do. And, and I remembered this thing that happened to me where I woke up one morning and someone was buzzing my buzzer at my door and I went and I hit the talk button and the person said, David. And I said, yes. And the person said, Dick Laurent is dead. And that was it. And I tried to go huh. over to see the, who was, this was saying this but i my window didn't have a good angle on my door so i couldn't see anybody and i wasn't going to open the door but uh i don't know anybody named dick laurent and so it was just a very kind of unnerving (laughs) experience to have which is how that movie starts and it never comes up again like there's no character as far as i remember there's no character named dick laurent in that movie who dies is there oh god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you you can't ask me that because there might be somebody who we didn't know was Dick Laurent or somebody else knew them as Dick Laurent or there were two characters and I, I don't remember, but I believe you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to look it up right now. Yeah, but I, I think those kinds of moments where he kind of gets an image or or a scene kind of stuck in his craw and then he just takes it and jumps off from there and sees what hap- what might happen next or where to go next is like part of the reason I think why he lingers so long on certain scenes or certain symbols or lets like certain conversations kind of meander because mm-hmm. I think that is that is what he's more interested in is the sort of how do you get there not where are you going yeah so looking it up real quick, apparently Dick Laurent seems to possibly be another name for Robert Loge's character in Lost Highway. So huh. everything I just said doesn't apply. But but the fact is, like he <laughs> yeah. they're writing this movie and he's just got this thing that he has experienced and has stuck with him that he just sticks in there to see, all right, how does this work? How does this work with all these kind of other things? There's a... There's another great bit where they talk about, um, and this is just purely practical, but it works because it's it's a David Lynch movie um, in Lost Highway where 
they needed to shoot the, a specific, like a very expensive day, a lot of stuff going on, but it was raining out. Mm. And they had already shot another scene from the, or another piece of the scene where it wasn't raining. And so it, it just was not going to match. And so mm-hmm. instead of um, postponing, David Lynch grabbed two guys and said, okay, each of you take a hose and I want you just to be spraying each other with hoses. <laughs> and so in the master shot of this scene, just in the background, there's two guys like horsing around, spraying each other with ho- garden hoses. So now your brain registers anytime you see like dripping water in the, in the scene that they shot when it was raining out. It's just like, oh, well, no, yeah. it was it was it's from the hoses. It's not because it was raining out. Right, right. And it's one of those things where it's like. I'm sure if you don't know the story behind that, you look at it and you're like, what is with the guys with the hoses? Exactly. Just David Lynch, another, what's that symbol? Is it the, is it the, is it the, uh, is it meant to mean the man's inhumanity towards man in for, in the form right. of a water fight? <laughs> right. Is it like that? Are we symbolizing that the men aren't mature enough and they're childlike or what? what's happening here? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's funny because I do think that, you know, one of the one of the biggest criticisms that people will level against Lynch is that he is just adding in shit to be weird. Yeah. That it doesn't mean anything and it's not really going anywhere. It's just there to confuse the audience and to try and seem like dense and intellectual and it's all kind of a scam. And my reaction to that has always kind of been like, why does every single little thing have to mean, like have to have a very specific meaning pinned down to it? Yeah. Like I, I get why you want the big things to have, to have some sort of symbolic meaning that you can ascribe to it that will make some sort of sense and give you some connections to work with in terms of what the hell is happening here. But once you start getting into the like, well, why were the forks red? Right. Yes. It's like, okay, well, maybe the maybe he just liked the way the red forks looked. Like, can we focus more on something else? Yeah, and I guess in Lost Highway, he built a lot of the um, uh, furniture in Bill Pullman's apartment. And it was just like, it wasn't meant to be any sort of particular thing. It's just he wanted to build those pieces of furniture and express himself that way for mm-hmm. those things so it's it's he, he's like i said he's a very he's very painterly in the way that he makes his movies well speaking of how he makes movies and being painterly mm. do you think any of that had anything to do with the baby i was just gonna say we should probably get into the into yeah. the baby yes um <laughs> well for, it's so gross yeah i uh <laughs> i legitimately don't know what that thing is how they made it work or what because it is it is disturbingly real for whatever it is supposed to be yeah yeah i don't i don't know it 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 is sort of a weird vision of like what what if you could have a baby and it was all sperm and no egg Ugh, yeah that that's kind of the vibe i've always gotten from yeah. it where it, it's sort of like, because it comes out of him. Right. At the beginning of the movie. And we never really get an equivalent scene of anything from Mary actually being That's contributed. True. Yeah. Um, we never see her pregnant. We never see her 
giving birth or like in in any way sort of physically contributing to the baby it really seems like it 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 kind of solely originates from henry in some sort of like grotesque way and that's why it just looks like an overgrown sperm with a face yeah i hadn't thought about that but yeah that's that's pretty disturbing <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a, the 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 quote unquote birth scene is uh Kind of similar to the birth of Bob from Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where it's just like this unnatural birth. It, it's it's something coming into existence in a in an unnatural way that shouldn't be there. Um, how do you feel about uh, Mary's reaction to having to take care of this abomination? Uh, I mean. I, I, I think her reaction is a reasonable one, actually. Like, it's it's not maybe the kindest or most generous reaction mm. one could have to, like, like, assuming she did give birth to it, it is her baby, too. But, right. like, Henry doesn't seem very invested in helping to take care of it until Mary is gone. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's her she's clearly very stressed out by it um Mm -hmm. and uh henry reacts very negatively when she expresses that frustration uh and kind of um reaches her breaking point in in a way in a way that a person who is not stressed out at all can only respond (laughs) Where it's, right. Where it's like he has no concept of, of what she is uh, dealing with. Um, and he, of course, thinks she's just being a bitch. Right. And and, and to top it all off, he's on vacation. Mm-hmm. Like he's not working. So it's not like he's going out and working nine to five and then coming home and she's being like, you do it. Right. Yeah. Which I still think would be not the most unreasonable thing if you're like, I've spent the last eight hours dealing with a screaming baby. Could you please hold it for 30 minutes? Like, right, yeah. But he's not doing that. He's just kind of hanging out, staring at the radiator, mm-hmm. <laughs> fantasizing about the neighbor across the hall. Like, he's not contributing much of anything that you can see. It's all about, for him, his internal life. And that leaves Mary with this baby that also, like, if you take the appearance of the baby literally, like that's what it would look like in real life, you should be that disturbed and upset by it. Yeah. <laughs> like it should be that disturbing and upsetting to deal with if it really looks like that. And it's not just, we're not just seeing it filtered through Henry's perception. Yeah. Cause if it really does look like that, I, they probably shouldn't have let it live. I don't want to be mean, yeah. but <laughs> That seems like a, uh, you know, maybe that one doesn't come home with you. But yeah. <clears throat> although I don't know, it seems pretty seems pretty sentient. So who knows? And if and if oh you try, oh my god, to, the, fa- the no, you got. I was just saying, if you try to kill it, it apparently turns into a gigantic head. So yeah, <laughs> I just like I find the baby so grotesque and so repulsive. Especially in the scenes where it starts laughing at him. Yeah. 
because then it's like it's it's hit a level of in- intelligence that you don't expect from a normal looking baby mm-hmm. that like it it understands that Henry has been emasculated and embarrassed and it's actively laughing at him like mm-hmm. that's not something a normal looking baby would be able to do at all and so the fact that this kind of half formed half birthed creature is smart enough and has some sort of intelligence and i i feel like that's also maybe like maybe that's an experience that new parents first time parents have where they they look at their kid and they think oh my god you're doing this to me on purpose like right <laughs> like you're you know it's driving me crazy and so you're choosing to do it like but it's just so it's so creepy when the baby like cackles at him yeah i you know i was thinking about it as we were watching this last night um this might be the most unpleasant movie we've watched, like in the, across the board. Uh, More unpleasant than um, a dark song. Arguably, yes. <laughs> like th- there's just something so unnerving about this movie. Oh yeah. Um, and it just keeps getting more and more uncomfortable. Uh, you know, when when the when the baby shows up, it's bad enough, but then it gets sick mm-hmm. and they, it's covered with these like boils and stuff. That's really mm-hmm. uh, its eyes are all filmy and it's like oozing out of its weird little mouth. Yeah. It, I mean, and then when the those weird like I don't know if they were like brain stems or something, the things that start dropping down around. Uh, the radiator lady that she starts squishing. It's just so unpleasant to watch. Mm-hmm. And even there's that weird little like slug thing that Henry takes out of the box and he puts right. it in the sort of like tabernacle on his wall for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it's all just like very just disgusting. Yeah. All the, the time. The, the chickens and I'm and not even, and <laughs> that's just like the, the, the visceral stuff. It's just a very unpleasant mm-hmm. vibe for the movie you know like it, and it's oh, i yeah. think uh, um a lot of that or at least the base of that comes from the the sound design which is pretty amazing mm. but is um i feel like a, an element of david lynch's stuff that he doesn't get a lot of credit for which is his yeah. use of ambient sound where it's yeah. he just like jacks it way up and it instantly becomes unsettling like it's mm-hmm. you know the the I kind of identify a little bit with the sounds that he's um, leaning into at the beginning because they're all very urban, like urban apartment mm-hmm. sounds. Like it, there's always some sort of low hum coming through yeah. the walls. That, yeah, it's like electrical transformers yeah. buzzing and like maybe a train or something going by. Or the sound of uh, his radiator just, just kind of just that, that, constant just unyielding and it just it does it does make you feel uncomfortable and there there's so many scenes too where other movies would just be quiet i think where like Mm -hmm. henry is or populated with sounds of life or something like when henry is walking outside uh he's just i I think it's the part when he's walking over the 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 mounds or whatever Mm -hmm. and i just kept thinking to myself in any other movie this would either be silent or you would just f- hear like the foley of his 
shoes on the uh, on the the ground mm. or maybe like a bird chirp or something. But in this, it's just like mm-hmm. ah, yeah, <laughs> and it's really disturbing. Yeah, the the closest sounds to any sounds of just like life are when he, I think when he's walking to Mary's family's house, there are like barking dogs in the distance. Mm-hmm. But that's it's like at night he's crossing a train yard and so there's like mechanical noises happening and then there are these barking like crazy barking dogs. They're not it's not like pleasant nature noises and it's not even just the sounds of like normal neighborhood stuff happening around you when you live in a city. It's like a like a hostile thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're dogs that sound like they're fighting or they're chasing something or something has set them off. Like it's not just like the sound of the neighbor's dog playing with a toy. It's it's like a different, it, it kind of stands in for this like, oh, those are stray dogs just roaming around. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's representative of how David Lynch felt living in Philadelphia, which he said was. That's so funny. He was constant. They were constantly surrounded by violence and, and just, uh, you know people in in not the best state of of life unfortunately yeah i mean it goes back to what you were saying at the top of the episode where there is this kind of sense of undeniable urban decay that has just started to permeate things that people can't ignore any longer yeah yeah Yeah. uh so how do you feel about the end of this movie (laughs) um i think this movie ends kind of the only way it could end yeah in a weird way like this this movie could not end as like mary comes home and says i want a divorce or mary comes home and says i made a mistake we should be together or paul paul you know, like starts playing yeah <laughs> like there's no me, ending yeah there's no ending in this where he ends up a kind of normal family man yeah like that that's not what's going to happen here. And so I, I think the fact that he kind of gives in to this urge to destroy the baby. And then in his subconscious kind of fantasy world of the man and the planet and the lady and the radiator. In a weird way, he like self validates, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he sort of is like, yes, and, and good has triumphed over evil. And now I get to go live with my beautiful radiator lady forever the end yeah like he chooses he chooses his inner life over his outer responsibilities and we never see the fallout from that right we just get the sort of like briefly triumphant moment i think he thinks he's having but we we don't get to see what happens after that why do you why do you think the baby turns into a giant floating head Uh, Because it looked real cool and scary, like hopping around the apartment and the flickers of light. Yeah, that's enough. Uh, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I guess because in a way, if we want to read this as Henry had a real baby, not just a monstrous thing, and he just killed it, then he's never going to escape this baby. Right, yeah. Like if if he if it, that was a real baby and he destroyed it, 
it's actually going to haunt him and destroy his life even worse. Right. It's, it's now become an even bigger problem to be to be like flippant about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so he has no choice at that point but to retreat into his own mind, which means, yeah, hey, radiator lady, let's disappear in a flash of light. Yeah. This whole movie is kind of like a, a really uh, bleak John Mellencamp song. Or a couple <laughs> of crazy kids just having to live their life, having a kid. Having a kid. It's like uh, uh, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant by Billy Joel. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, I don't know. What do you What started, do you think? Do started you think, to fight when I'm the money off? got tight, and then I just had to hide in my radiator fantasy world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do I think what? Do you, Do you Do you have different a different interpretation of any of it? No. Do I, you think I'm? That's that works for me. I I don't I don't know if I've <laughs> processed the ending enough to really form um mm. a hard idea, but I, I I do think that that ultimately what you're saying is right. That he's he's clearly choosing to exists solely in 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 his fantasy yeah um the one question that i do think is important to ask Mm. here do you consider this a horror movie hmm i mean you know i feel like every time we have this i i every time we have this kind of conversation about one of the films that we cover i fall on a slightly different point or my logic is never quite the same in Mm -hmm. how I define a horror movie. Um, So I'm going to give up on applying any logic to it because I think David Lynch would also appreciate that. I think this is a horror movie. Like I, I think it's a horrifying world he lives in. He's having a horrifying and inescapable experience. Um, There's a lot of grotesque, and disturbing imagery and i think it's i I think it i think it counts yeah i think um i'm gonna say yes (laughs) you sound less convinced well i think it's tough because i i feel like a lot of his movies they're very difficult to quantify in that sense because they're all Mm -hmm. fucking really disturbing to watch and i and so i think it's it's easy to be like oh well david lynch makes horror movies when i don't really Mm. know if that would be the first thing that i would say because like you know fire walk with me is not really is a horrifying movie but i don't know if i would call it a horror movie um or maybe i would Mm. i don't know i'll have to go back and listen to what i said (laughs) but you know what i mean there's something about his movie like like we were saying this is this is more of like a family drama to a certain like i i feel like there's there's more in common with like kramer versus kramer with Eraserhead than like the exorcist you know yeah but i i would i would say that a movie like hereditary is definitely a spiritual successor to this that's true i think i think the tough part is is that his stuff is so difficult to take literally Mm. that it it is hard to quantify in a genre because like if if this movie was a little bit more straightforward but still had all the same stuff in it be like oh yeah no it's a horror movie they have that baby and it's really you know fucking weird and gross right but it's like yeah yes that does happen but like 
I, I don't know. For it, it, it doesn't feel the same to me. But I, I think this movie in particular, I did find to be very disturbing and scary. So I'm going to say this one is a hard movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I think part of the problem when you talk about David Lynch's body of work in general, and people want to say, oh, he, he, you know, he just makes horror movies. I, I think this is one of the ones that, in my opinion, at least falls more closely into the horror movie genre. Mm-hmm. I think people tend to just kind of forget that he's done a bunch of other stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not just this and Blue Velvet. It's The Elephant Man and Dune and Wild at Heart, which are all very much not horror movies. Right. Yeah. So he has he has a wider spread, I think, than people give him credit for. But I would put this one pretty far on the end of like, oh, God, yeah, that's that's a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's number 82 on our list. How do you feel mm. about that placement? Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel pretty, pretty fine with it. I don't I don't feel strongly really one way or the other. I don't think it should be like top 25, yeah. but I'm glad it's I'm glad it's on there. I would probably drop it a bit low. I think I would put it on the other side of a hundred. Hmm. Fair. Um. It's tough though. I I, I do feel like it's tough just because his stuff is so singular. It's really difficult mm-hmm. to compare it to other things. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm. We are also talking about this as two people who do not have children. That's true. Yeah, because so for... we just watched Eraserhead, which is why. Right. <laughs> the ultimate prophylactic. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you're a parent and you watch this movie, you might have a very different experience of it. You might find this to be a deeply, deeply horrifying movie and say, no, 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 this should be in the top 30. True. Like, this movie is absolutely, this haunts my nightmares. That's true. That was a good point. Yeah. 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 Mileage may vary. Yeah. <laughs> or mileage ovary in this case. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted now to say? We, now we have to end the episode on that note, Clay. Is there anything else you wanted to say about Eraserhead before? No. We... <laughs> I well, you know a good ending when you hear one, I guess. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I hit the randomizer button. Beep boop boop beep boop boop beep boop, boop, boop. And next time, well, to be fair, I didn't really hit the randomizer button because we are going to December. <gasps> I know this. The whole system is a lie. And uh, <laughs> you mean the beeps and boops aren't real? <laughs> well, uh, they are real in the sense that they exist. Okay. Um, they're real in the sense of the, the way that the lady in the radiator is real. So take that for yeah. however you would like to interpret it. <laughs> uh, we have managed to the past three. This is our th- third year. Is this true? Third year doing this? Fourth year? I don't remember. Anyway. The past handful of years, we've managed to do a Christmas episode in um, mm. December, and I was worried because there were no more Christmas movies on the list, and we weren't close enough to do a wild card, but the big overhaul actually did mm. gift us a Christmas movie, so next time we will be Merry doing Christmas. number 134, Gremlins. Yay, Gremlins. Very fun to do. And that may be our last episode for the year, depending on how schedules work out. So be a good one to to go off of and uh, and then take a bit of a break. So uh, more movies about slimy, disgusting creatures. Yeah, let's do it. No longer it's not children <laughs> this time, it's pets. Yeah. Um but yeah, thank you guys for listening. If you wanna help support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the Penske file. 
where you can sign up for the Patreon and follow along as Amanda and I round out the our year of video nasties with Evil yes. Speak in November. And that means uh, Zombie will be the last movie we watch in the Video Nasties uh, <clears throat> series in December. And then uh, next year we will be kicking off, we'll be doing the Halloween series. <laughs> Halloween asterisk. That's what it's probably going to be called. Because <laughs> we already did Halloween 2018 on this show. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be doing the other 12 Halloween movies on the Patreon for 2024. Uh, it's a very simple system, and I don't know why anyone would complain no, about well, it. Well, you know, it just goes, it, it, it's, we, we do things the, the way they can be most enjoyed, much like the fact that we're doing um, Halloween in 2024, having missed the 45th anniversary, which is <laughs> 2023, and it uh, didn't even occur to me. So, but next year... I do know this in advance. Next year mm. is the 50th anniversary of both the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and oh Black God. Christmas. So <gasps> I don't know if we're going to have some sort of very specific, very disturbing party or what, but um, <laughs> we'll have to think of something to do. I don't know. but Wear your best face on your face. <laughs> yes. Wear your finest plastic bag over your head. Yes. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the dress code to get in. Yeah. A very short party. Everyone's going to pass out real quick. Um, <laughs> thank the you. best kind. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>